Thank you. Thank you. Please sit down. It's so great to be back here. I mean, I, I was so excited to hear that you allowed me to come back again. I didn't think it went so well last time. So, uh, and um, in January, I've started, uh, I've been in full-time ministry for 40 years. And so, despite um, not always doing things right, I'm really grateful for, I was even praying early this morning of how grateful I am to God that He's allowed me to serve Him. Uh, I have one wife, two sons. Uh, they're both married. They're both working in missions with, uh, in our mission around the world, so that's also a great blessing. I have six grandkids, and uh, so I am just very blessed and very grateful that I can be with you. Uh, we have a table back there with some of our crew from Taronga. We have a work there reaching the backpackers, the 50,000 backpackers that come through uh, New Zealand every month. And so we have a ministry there if you want to talk to them. I have some books. They're not for sale. Uh, this one explains how we started in Amsterdam. Uh, and one of the things God asked me to do is to start a band. That's why I have the strange hair, because I'm in a band. And, uh, you know, it talks about being spit on in concerts and the normal kind of things you experience. Um, and how we saw great miracles. And like I said, the books are not for sale. If you want to take one, you can. If you want to leave a donation, that's good. But if you, if you take one and you have money and don't leave a donation, I hope you're eaten by worms. And uh, <clears throat> this is a book, Revolutionary Ten Principles That Will Empower Christian Artists to Change the World. So it's not, <clears throat> it's not just for artists, but it's for anyone who's a serious Jesus follower. One of the principles is for every act, hour you spend practicing your guitar, what if you spent another hour seeking God? You know, or what gives you authority on stage is how you live your life off stage and things like that. So steal one of these books. This book is uh, Global Youth Culture. It's a, from uh, one of our leaders in, in Europe. Uh, Luke Greenwood talks about just kind of the secular humanistic world we live in and the challenges of reaching people, which is certainly New Zealand, who have walked away from the church. So I encourage you to get this book. And I have a short video I want to show you about how you can come and be with us uh, somewhere short term, because I know many of you are ready to do that. I can tell by the way you're looking at me. <laughs> and so I'd like to play this video, and then I will continue after that. I believe God is raising up a new missionary movement to reach this lost generation for Jesus. We've seen some exciting growth in our mission around the world with bold men and women desperately seeking God, creatively bringing the gospel to thousands of young people every year, and investing in discipleship relationships with people who have never been part of a church, bridging the gap between the church and the global youth culture. We're praying for an unstoppable move of God, marked by the clear, unashamed, unreserved, revolutionary preaching of the good news on every street, university, club, festival, every corner of our cities. And you can be part of that. We want to invite you to join our 2020 Steiger Impact Actions. It's a short-term opportunity where you can join our Steiger teams around the world to impact global cities. In June, we have a Steiger Impact Action reaching Amsterdam. In July, we'll have three days impact in Kiev, Ukraine. In August, the Steiger Impact invites you to join our Polish team to go to the Poland Rock Festival, the largest open air festival in Europe, and participate in the two-day Global Youth Summit in East Germany. 
In September, we'll be reaching central London with the Steiger Mission School. So join us at one of these or all of them to find out more at our Steiger website and follow us on social media. And uh, another thing you should check out is our Provoke and Inspire podcast. Uh, do we have a slide for that? Oh, we do. Anyway, that goes out every week. We, had, uh, we have amazing uh, guests on our podcast, like we just had Timothy Keller, uh, who is a, an amazing apologist, philosopher. He wrote a book, The Reason for God. And, and uh, we have other people like, uh, let me look at the list. We have Brian Head Welsh from Corn. He's a regular c contributor. Cy Rogers. Uh, we had uh, John Cooper from Skillet recently. Nancy Piercy, who wrote the book, uh, Love Thy Body. Talk, you know, like today, people, they say their biology is, or their sex is not determined by, by their biology. So if I feel like I'm a man, I'm a man. If I feel like I'm a woman, I'm a woman. And if I change, I feel differently the next day, then it changes again. And this is the confusion, the time that we live in. And so, you know, how do we communicate to a world that has lost the understanding of truth and absolutes? You know, how do we reach them? And so I really encourage you to check out this podcast. I think it'll help you to know how to relevantly share Jesus boldly outside of the church. So check out that podcast, uh, Provoke and Inspire. So recently I was on a, well, not recently, that's a lie. <laughs> but a while ago I was on a plane, a little plane, and uh, I was looking out the window of the plane and I saw a field of diamonds, it was amazing. I look out this plane and this whole field of diamonds. So I asked the pilot if he would turn the plane around. You know, because we're going, wow, this is so beautiful. So he turns the plane around and it turns out it's not a field of diamonds, but it was a junkyard. And it was the sunlight reflecting off the junk. And I thought, wow, isn't this a great illustration of the world? It gives us this idea that we're, you know, we, it's all diamonds and it's so beautiful, but the truth of it is that it's really just trash. Because, you know, the truth is, Jesus is where true riches lie. And the thing is, here is this unbelievable ultimate life force, God himself. And then he sends Jesus to the earth to rescue us and Jesus then rescues me, and then he doesn't just do that. He says, and now I am calling you to turn the world upside down. God doesn't produce normal. You know, he calls us to a different kind of life. Jesus said that if you are my followers, you will do even greater things than I have done to bring glory to God, John 14, 12. And the last thing Jesus said before he was taken to heaven in Matthew 28, 19, is he said this to us, therefore, it, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. Then Jesus said, there's a great harvest and there are few workers. He tells us to go, but then he says there's not too many people going. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Luke 15, verse 1. 
Jesus is standing by the lake. The people are crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Peter, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, now picture this. Here's Peter. He is a successful businessman. He has his own boat. And he knew that Jesus was not just another prophet or teacher. He knew he was special. He called him master. He saw him heal people. He heard him teach. And then Jesus said, I want to be in your boat, your boat Peter. Can you imagine? Peter must have thought pretty special. I mean, I would have. I mean, there's all these fishermen, and Jesus asked to use his boat. Maybe, maybe Peter thought, Jesus saw something in me. You know, he knows that Peter, he, Jesus knows that this is a guy I want on my team. You know, he maybe thought, yeah, Jesus saw that I'm pretty special. So he's out with Jesus. Jesus is, is teaching. And then it says in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, put into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Now at this point, Peter's like, Jesus, we've been fishing all night, and we didn't catch anything. And he's like, you know, Jesus, you are a great spiritual teacher. I am a fisherman. Stay in your area. I mean, come on, I know about fishing. But if it makes you feel better, I'll go out in the middle of the lake where you don't catch fish in the deep water, and I'll put the nets down. So he does it anyway. So they, they did, they, when they did this, it says in verse 6, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And both boats began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You know, uh, a few weeks ago when I was in Kapiti, you know, the Kapiti Coast here in New Zealand, and we had an earthquake it was a 5-5. Five, five. It wasn't that big, but what made it uh, scary was how loud it was. It was at 11.30 at night, and it felt like a freight train, literally, this is how it felt. It felt like a freight train was coming from the sea right towards our house, and then the house started shaking. And it reminded me of when I talked to a friend of mine from Christchurch who lives in Sumner. And he was there during the big earthquakes in Christchurch. And he said exactly the same thing. He said it was like during one of these big earthquakes, he felt like a freight train was going through the middle of their house. And this is what it was like when Peter saw Jesus like this. It wasn't like, oh, you know, oh, a bunch of fish. You know, oh, we caught all these fish. It was like he saw the power of Jesus. He saw the majesty of Jesus. You know, it's like that, old, that song that we sing. It's an old song. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of his name. 
He was like so overwhelmed. He was so overwhelmed. You know, he thought, yeah, you know, before he thought, oh, Jesus is somebody I can have with me in my boat. You know, it's cool. He's a good teacher. But then when he saw this revelation of the power of it, Jesus, he fell. And he said, I don't deserve to be with you. I'm so unworthy. Please don't, please, he was afraid. Please go away from me. I don't want to be around you. But you know what? This is the interesting thing. It was at this point when he could hear the voice of God. Not when he was the proud Peter in the boat, but when he was on the, the Peter on his face with the fish at the feet of Jesus. He said, then Jesus said, you are not going to be a fisherman anymore. You're going to catch, you're going to catch men. Catch men. And I, I think when Peter heard this, I know this is, he was going, seriously? I don't even deserve to be around you. You are so terrifying. You are so amazing. You are so holy. And you're actually going to ask me to do this for you. That's why verse 11 makes sense. Because it says in verse 11, they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything to follow him. Jesus did not give Peter a backup plan. You know what, Peter? You can do this. Keep your business and follow me on the weekends. You, you know what, Peter? You can be a short-term disciple every summer. What Jesus demanded of Peter was extreme. It was crazy obedience. And it has always been this way. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus said it's a narrow road. It's always been this way with Jesus. It's always been all or nothing, 100%. And it's not about success. A guy that mentored me when I was a young man, Arthur Blessed, said to me, you know, David, God never told me I, was, I would succeed. He just told me to obey. Why? Why? Well, when you see this Jesus standing before you, what else can you do? I mean, Jesus is the treasure hidden in a field. It'd be like if you were here in Auckland and you found there's this field outside of Auckland and there's an oil well in it and it's worth millions of dollars. So what do you do? You sell your house. You, you go to the bank. You get as much money as you can. You borrow money from everybody so you can buy that field because in that field is an oil well that you're going to get you're gonna get with millions and millions of dollars. Or you find someone and they're selling this, this pearl or this diamond. It's invaluable. It's priceless, but they don't know it. So you do, you'll go, you're going to do everything you can to buy that priceless pearl. 
That's who Jesus is. You know, Brian Head Welsh from Corn, who works, we do a lot of things with. He was in the 90s. His band Corn was one of the most famous bands in the world. They had everything. They had fame. They had fortune. They had everything. And he told me, you know, it was absolutely worth nothing. The Apostle Paul was the same. He was a Pharisee, highly educated, Roman citizen. He had position. And this is what Paul says. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, and in the Greek it's stronger than garbage, that I might find Christ, Philippians 3.8. Finding Jesus is where you find true purpose, true meaning in a world that is so broken, lying to me, telling me I have no value, and then I meet Jesus, and Jesus says to me, you are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are forgiven. Follow me. You know, we have missionaries all over the world. One of our missionaries, from, she's Russian. She's from, she lives in Russia. Her name's Veronica. She was being poised to be the next minister of education in Russia. Then she had an encounter with Jesus. She knew God was calling her to missions. So she quit this prestigious job to be a nanny for some rich people. So she would... Ha- part-time so she would have the freedom to pursue missions and now she's working to be full-time you know you know maybe some of you are supposed to help her all we need is a thousand euros a month and she can be full-time so I think someone here maybe needs to put their hand up and support her but anyway my point is this and if you feel called to do it go to our table back there but my point is this her Christian family was very critical of her and all of her friends, they're going, what are you doing? You can't, what are you, are you, this doesn't make any sense. And then there's a, another one of our missionaries, he's from Beirut, Lebanon, George. He feels very called to be a radical pastor in the Middle East. In this, and, I, and so, but he asked for prayer last week because he said that his Christian parents are giving him such a hard time. And they're saying to him, George, be normal. Get a normal job. So many of our radical young missionaries around the world find the greatest opposition to their calling to missions coming from their Christian parents. I remember when my oldest son Aaron came to me. He had just finished university. He was about to get a job. And, well, he, no, not get a job. He had a job in this company. And the, the head of the company was kind of grooming him to be like his right-hand man. He was, gonna, he was doing very well. He was going to be making lots of money. And then one day, my son Aaron came to me and said, Dad, I feel called to missions. I'm going to leave this job. And I'm going, well, but Aaron, God can use people in business too. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was, man, God con convicted me. Are you going to rob your son of his calling? Do, you, do I want my sons to have successful businesses, fish, fishing businesses, or do I want them to be world changers for Jesus? So many of the church, so many in the church actually encourage their children not to have radical Holy Spirit-led faith. God wouldn't be calling you to that. You know, my parents came to me and they go, my mom, she goes, we've, we, we've, we put your, your life verse, we framed it. She gave it to me for Christmas a few years ago. And I didn't go, I didn't know I had a life verse. I thought, oh, maybe it's like the prayer of Jabez or whatever, you know. You enlarge your tent, be prosper, prosperity, no difficulty. I was, you know, assuming it would be that kind of verse. It's my mother after all. And so this is my, she gives it to me all framed behind glass. Acts 20, 22 through 24. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that the prison and hardships are facing me. <laughs> However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Yes! It wasn't real comforting to get this verse. <laughs> when Peter left his boats, he left his security behind. He took a great risk. And in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. A Christianity that requires no faith is fake. And a faith without Holy Spirit-led risks is fake and powerless. And it is not where you will find your passion. And it is not where you will find that hunger that's inside of you. Recently, I was doing a speaking tour one time. I was getting criticized. You can't go. is in, in Russia, and they were saying, you can't do this. And I went to someone that, that like, is a mentor, and I said, you know, his name's Dr. Arthur Rauner. I said, Dr. Rauner, I don't know what to do. I feel like if I don't go on this tour, I'm, my whole life is going to be a failure. And he said, well, David, you have two choices. You can, you can move to a small town in the United States, and you can, you know, work, you can pump gas, you know, work at a petrol station, be a burned-out missionary, or you can risk it all. It might cost you everything. It might cost you your family. It might cost you your ministry. But if you're going to do great things for Jesus, you have to, you have to take Holy Spirit-led risks. And that tour was historic. Many churches were planted around the world. I even got a, a, an email from a guy that got, came to Jesus during that tour in 91 in Mongolia. Now he's a major leader in Mongolia. The only way you're going to experience extraordinary life is if you if you take extraordinary risks. Why is there great harvest and few workers? Well, you know, I think it's because many of us say, well, I'll follow you after I get everything in place, you know, and I have all the money raised when things are sustainable. But I think what's even more common today is we say, 
well, I'll go for you a week or two every year, Jesus. But then, of course, I have to get to back to my fishing business. So the world burns and we go fishing. Is it because Jesus does not want to call more people? Is he just calling a few people to go? Or could it be that we are refusing to leave our boats on the shore? Maybe following Jesus means you actually have to follow Jesus. Yes, I know some of you are waiting. You're all worried. You're all nervous. Yes, some is calling some of us to own businesses. Yes, God is calling some of us to have jobs. But if you are called to have a business, if you are called to have a job, it's all a pot fulfilling the Great Commission. If you are gifted at making lots of money, it's not so you can just have a, a more increasingly uh, selfish life. It's so you can, you can keep your, your lifestyle simple and you can send out people around the world and you can reach people in your workplace. And if God has called you to have a job, it's for the Great Commission. I have a friend who's a security guard at a, at a grocery store in Amsterdam. That's his job. But, it's, but I'll tell you, every day he goes to work, he's going, all right, who am I going to lead to Jesus at work today? Who am I going to pray for at this su supermarket today? This is his mission. It's part of the Great Commission. Jesus does not call anyone to be just normal in society and seek the world's empty lies. Every Jesus follower is called to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus commands us to go to the entire world and preach the gospel. Do something extraordinary. Turn the world upside down. And yes, we're going to do it, right? Yeah. We're not going to, don't waste your life. It goes by so fast. Yeah. Pull your boat on the shore before it's too late. I don't know what that means for you. We're all different. We're all different parts of the body of Christ. But every single person here, man, woman, young, old, is supposed to follow Jesus in this way. This is not a message for some people. It's a message for all of us. And if you feel like, God, I, I need to respond to this message, I don't know what that call means for me. But he'll show you. I want to invite you to come to the front as an act of humility before your brothers and sisters and before Jesus and say, Jesus, here I am. Send me. Don't send somebody else. Send me. I don't know what I can do. I only have five loaves and a couple of fish, but I give them to you this morning. I don't know. I'll do whatever you want. I'll play whatever role you're asking me to play. If that's you, can you come to the front now? And if you can't, and kneel. And if you can't kneel, you can stand. But don't, but come now if God has spoken to you. Just come. Lord, I want, to do, I want to go where you want me to go. I want to do what you want me to do. That's the cry. Who else needs to come?
I know how it is. You're thinking, I don't need to go up there. I can just say this to Jesus sitting in my chair. I disagree. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning, you need to humble yourself and get out of your chair and come to the front. As an act of saying, Jesus, I mean this. I'm serious. So if that's you, just come up here and make, make this declaration to Jesus this morning. you are so amazing you're so I don't understand why you would want to call somebody like me I really don't I really understand how Peter felt but I say with you and with my brothers and sisters send me Lord You've made me to not just survive, but you've made me to play a part in reaching this world for you. So Lord, show me what my part is. Show me what step you want me to take. Lord, you're moving in this church. You're speaking. This urgency conference is a sign of what you're saying. It's urgent. The time is short. No time to waste, Lord. So, Lord, cement what you're saying in my heart and to my brothers and sisters. Cement it in our hearts, Lord, so that we can take those steps you want us to take. And pray that this will be a time we'll look back and go, wow, that was the time. That was the time I made my decision to leave my boat on the shore and follow you. Thank you that you will show us the steps you want us to take. And I pray that you would use, that there would be a whole new anointing, a new pouring out of your presence, your Holy Spirit on, on all of us, Lord. I know that that's your desire and that's what you want to do. In Jesus' name. there's a great sense of God in the place and for each one of us being called to live radically means something